Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. We're in a series on the epistle of 1 John. Today's part six. We're going to spend five weeks on chapter one. We probably won't spend that much on next chapter. We're going to start look at the first part of chapter two today and the theme of knowing God and the assurance of your salvation. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, verse 3 to 11. So the next slide. 1 John 2, beginning in verse 3. If we could have the next slide, please. There we go. We know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar, and the truth's not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Yeshua did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. Uh, This old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister in the Lord, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their believing brother or sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow brother or sister is in the darkness uh, and walks around in the darkness, and they don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Amen. Now, I want to give you, briefly, at first start off by giving you an overview of this passage, and then we'll go over it more carefully uh, verse by verse. The passage starts with this uh, ma- major assertion, 1 John 2, verse 3. Uh, again, on the overhead, please. Uh, we know that, we co- we, that we've come to know him. This is the claim that, at the, at the same time, is both wonderful and a great test for us. This is a claim that it's possible to know that you belong to God. It's possible to have this inward certainty that you're his, that you're saved, that that you know that you've been accepted, that you know you're in Messiah, that if you were to die tonight, you'd be with him forever. It's an internal certainty. It's known as the doctrine of the assurance of salvation. And John's telling us that you can know if you're saved and have eternal life in Yeshua. Uh, Indeed, on the overhead, Uh, You can't live this believing life the way the Bible says you ought to live it. You can't live in the power and the joy and the victory and the consistency and the faithfulness in which it ought to be lived unless you have this assurance of salvation. Now, there are two kinds of people who violently dislike this very idea of this doctrine of the assurance of salvation. They think it's arrogant They think it's impossible to really know and to really be sure you're going to heaven. Uh, On the right are those who see religion as a matter of of externals and objective outward deeds uh, and rituals and observances, doing good, uh, going to shul, obeying the Ten Commandments, uh, following the rules, uh, adhering to the creeds. Uh, This would include, for example, Roman Catholics uh, and Muslims who both say you can never really know. Uh, And for the Catholics, that's why they have purgatory. (laughs) Uh, But the same is also true for Orthodox Jews. They say that without a temple for sacrifices, 
we're now forgiven through repentance and prayer and good deeds. Well, first of all, they made this up. Uh, It's not in the scriptures. But second, do you see how this inevitably leads to uncertainty about your forgiveness? For example, how do I know I've properly repented? What if I do it over again, the same sin? Uh, Was my repentance not real? What type of prayer is sufficient? What if I'm just reading my prayers out of a book, like a siddur? Does that count? Or how many good deeds are enough? How do I know if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? Uh, And as far as Torah observance goes, uh, notice they always focus on the external uh, commandments. The food laws, uh, Shabbat, holidays, clothing. Those are the easy ones. They don't focus on the weightier matters of the heart. Justice, righteousness, humility, love, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, forgiveness, meekness, mercy, compassion. Any religion based on outward observances and rituals and rules and human effort is bound to result in uncertainty and anxiety and doubt and legalism and a religious spirit. And that's why Catholics and Muslims and rabbinic Jews think it's arrogant to teach that you can know that you know the Lord. Because in legalism, you can never be sure you're good enough. You're never sure you, you make the mark. Indeed, in these systems, you can't know. And so they say the very idea of saying, I know the Lord, uh, and, and I'm his, and I have eternal life, I'm going to heaven, they say that's arrogant. But that only shows they have no idea of the basic truths of Messianic Judaism, Yeshua faith, and what the Bible, and especially the New Covenant, teaches. So that's why those on the right hate the biblical doctrine of the assurance of salvation. And then those on the left uh, are people who say that religion is nothing but subjectivity. Religion's a private thing. They say it's just a matter of your own personal preference. Uh, you, in essence, create your own religion. Uh, it's right for you, but maybe it's not right for anybody else. It's all subjective. And so this group on the left, they also say that uh, to claim you have this objective certainty that you're right with the one true God uh, in, in a final absolute way, that's the height of arrogance. No one can be sure because everyone works out their own religion in their own way. So you have lots of people on both the right and the left who think the idea that you can be sure that you belong to God is arrogant, it's presumptuous, it's impossible. But all they're doing by holding this position is proving they know nothing about Messiah, Messianic Yeshua faith or what the Bible says on this matter. John says you can know that you know. Okay, how can you know that you know? <laughs> That's what the entire epistle of 1 John is all about. And here in chapter 2, John says that the way you can know that you're really a born-again believer and you truly know the Lord is by one internal test and three external tests. So look again at 1 John 2, verse 3 on, on the overhead. We know we've come to know him. This is the internal test. You, could have this, you cannot have this assurance of salvation unless you have this internal experience of knowing God and being filled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, not just knowing about God, not just having an in, but, but by having an internal experience of fellowship with Yeshua, where he witnesses to your spirit uh, and gives you the spirit of adoption by which you cry out to God, Abba, Father. Uh, this internal witness must be there if you are truly a believer, on the overhead, 
you will never come to the power of living the new creation life. You will never come to the assurance of your salvation unless you're internally knowing the Lord in your inner man. But John does not leave it at that. An internal experience alone is not enough. If that's all it was, then it would be very easy to be deceived. So you've got to have this, yes, you've got to have this internal experience of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Messiah indwelling in you uh, and speaking to you. But you also have to have ways of checking it externally so you won't be self-deceived. So John goes on to say there also be three external, observable, evaluatable tests as well that you really know the Lord. So on the overhead, the first test is I'm going to call uh, the behavioral test in verses 4 to 6. So look at 1 John 2 verse 4. The one who says, I've come to know him, but doesn't do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth's not in him. The behavioral test means if you really know God, your character, your behavior, the way you live will change. 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk uh, as Yeshua walked, as Yeshua did. You'll be constantly and continually changing in your actual observable behavior and character into the likeness of Yeshua. So on the overhead, ask yourself these questions. Am I getting less grumpy and less irritable, less holding on to grudges and unforgiveness, less self-centered, less enslaved to sinful habits, and more loving, more kind, more gentle, more long-suffering, more humble, more pure, year by year. Ask those closest to you to honestly evaluate you. And then on the overhead, the second test is, verses 11, 7 to 11, is the relational test. Uh, the relational test is love. Altruistic, other-oriented, self-sacrificial, servant love. It's observable. A person who says, I know God, but who's always harsh uh, and crabby uh, and vindictive uh, and resentful and keeps grudges and snubs other people and constantly criticizes, they are not walking in true biblical agape love. They're deceiving themselves. And what John emphasizes here is especially love for other believers. That's the context here. Your brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's a key test, John says, uh, for knowing the, the Lord or not. And then on the overhead, the third test is what actually is, is discussed later in chapter 2 is the, doct- is the doctrinal test in verses 22 to 23. So look at 1 John 2, verse 22, 23. Who is the liar? It's whoever denies Yeshua is the Messiah. Such a person is the anti-Messiah, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son as the Father also. This doctrinal test is, do you understand the gospel of salvation through Yeshua alone? These three external tests are always are ways to, to help you examine yourself, uh, to judge your position. Uh, they're also a diagnostic tool. If there's anything wrong with your walk with the Lord, if God doesn't seem real to you, if you have doubts, uh, if you're spiritually dry, if there's no spiritual vitality in your life, if you don't long for Yeshua's presence uh, and can't wait to run to him daily in prayer and then to be in his word and to worship him and adore him and praise him and sing to him. If you want to know what's wrong with me spiritually, here are your three diagnostic tests. And the, these are three, place, and these, uh, three places that you also, if you don't have them, it's where your assurance is hindered. 
if you're failing any of these three tests. So look at the behavioral test. Are you doing things that are violating your conscience? A bad conscience, a guilty conscience, will destroy your fellowship with God. Second, look at your relationships. Are you bitter? Are you critical of others? Uh, uh, are you a gossip? Or, or here's, here's, here's another aspect, uh, a different aspect of a lack of love. Are you an isolated lone ranger who doesn't, look, uh, doesn't seek fellowship with other believers, but just hides behind their computer screen all day in your own private little virtual world? Third, look at the doctrinal test. Do you really understand and embrace the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Messiah alone, as set forth in the scriptures alone, and that results in a changed life because you're now a new creation in Yeshua? So go through these three tests and apply them to your life. If you take the the internal test and these three external tests, together you've got four tests, four areas in which you can do inventory on your own life as we approach the high holy days. And ask yourself these diagnostic questions. Uh, So on the overhead, for example, uh, under the first test, this internal test, uh, you can ask yourself, do I really know God? Do I sense him in my heart? Do I commune with him daily? Does his spirit speak to my spirit? Am I knowing him? Do I feel his presence? Or do I I just mechanically recite my prayers? Or do I pour my heart out to him like water? Do I sense his love in my heart? Do I take time to seek his face? Do I commune with Yeshua? That's the internal test. And the overhead. The second is the behavioral test. Am I growing in godly character? Am I walking as Yeshua walked? Am I changing more and more into Messiah's image and growing in the Lord? Am I less irritable, uh, less impatient, less fearful, less moody, uh, more compassionate, more peaceful, more joyful, more filled with integrity, uh, more faithful, more self-controlled, more walking in purity than I was last year? Again, ask someone who knows you well. And then the overhead, third, the relational test. Here are some diagnostic questions. Am I in close relationship with other believers? Do I have a prayer partner, uh, an accountability partner? A Bible study partner? Am I friends with other believers who are different than me, but we're one in the Lord? People who in the natural I probably would never be friends with, but in the Lord, he unites our hearts. Am I staying reconciled with people and keeping short accounts? And the overhead family fourth, the doctrinal test. Am I growing in my ability to rejoice in the gospel? Do I share my faith with others? And encourage them uh, to be saved in Yeshua. Do I thrill to consider the core doctrines of justification by faith in Yeshua. And his blood atonement on the tree. Can I never get enough of singing amazing grace. Or, or sacrifice lamb. Or l'chaim Yeshua? Now if under any of these four headings. You start to answer no. There's your diagnosis. That's where you need to repent. And seek the Lord. And if you're deficient in any of these four areas, you will not be experiencing the assurance that you could be experiencing. But if you can answer yes to all these questions, rejoice. (laughs) You know that you know him. See how the the epistle of 1 John, it's such a practical, down-to-earth, helpful book. Uh, So that's the overview. 
Now let's go back and look at these tests in a bit more detail. So first, the, the internal test. Do you know that you know him? You know, if you read the King James Bible, uh, th- th- this word to know, it comes up time and again throughout the book of Genesis. So, for example, it says, Adam uh, went to Eve uh, and he knew her and she conceived and bore a son. Or, or Seth went into his wife and he knew her and she, and she conceived and bore a daughter. The Hebrew word to know, yada, was used to mean sexual relations within the covenant of marriage. There is another Hebrew word for sex, but the verb to know in the Bible, it means complete oneness, body, soul, and spirit. Not just intellectual oneness, not just legal oneness, but personal oneness, absolute oneness. So when the Bible talks about knowing God, when it says you can have this assurance of your salvation by knowing God, that goes way beyond intellectual knowledge. You know, one of the most frightening verses in the whole Bible is Matthew 7, verse 22, where Yeshua says this. Uh, he says, many will say to me on the last day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Yeshua is going to say to people who understand the gospel intellectually very well, I never knew you. I never had a personal relationship with you. You see, knowing God goes way beyond the intellectual. Knowing God goes even way beyond the legal. As believers, we're legally justified in Messiah. But knowing, yada, goes beyond the legal. The Bible doesn't say Adam signed a a, a marriage contract, a ketubah with Eve. (laughs) No. The Bible doesn't say Adam became legally one with Eve and she conceived a son. No. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) The oneness has to go beyond the legal, beyond the intellectual. It's got to be real knowing. Knowing God means a personal interaction. It means intimacy with the Lord. That's why the Bible uses this metaphor that we're the bride of Yeshua at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He wants that close, intimate, personal relationship with you. Can you sense that in your life through the indwelling of God's Spirit? Do you pour out your heart to Him? Do you have these times of sweet communion? Do you have a a deep connection with Yeshua? A deep personal interaction and exchange? The Scriptures say nothing less than that is possible for you if you're a believer. Knowing God, having a sense that He's speaking to you. When you read the Bible, it's not just words, but it's words to you. Words that leap off the page and penetrate your heart. On the overhead, knowing not just that God loves you in general, but a sense that his love is coming at you and calling you and embracing you, breaking on your heart like waves of the ocean on the rocks of the shore. Real fellowship. The Bible says this has to happen if you're going to have an assurance of your salvation. So how do you experience that? It's it's subject to degrees. Sometimes it's gentle. You gently sense his love on you. Sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes it's a powerful experience that, that you never forget. But how does it come? Because the experience of knowing God is what makes you sure that you belong to him. In Hebrews 11, we're told about these Old Testament saints, right? The the, the, the so-called hall of faith. Abraham, Moses, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Noah, David, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac. And Hebrews 11 says, 
God gave this testimony to each that they pleased God. Now, when you know the Lord, when you break through the intellectual, when you break through the, the merely legal, and you actually sense God moving on your heart, the essence of that experience is to know that he's pleased with you. Do you see how this happens? That will happen only if you're walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? If you're walking in the light, you'll obey him. Oh, but it's more than obedience. Uh, obedience is, is, is a way of proving you're walking in the light, but walking in the light is more. First John also says, if you're not loving your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you're also not walking in the light. Uh, but again, loving others is not the grand sum total of what it means to walk in the light. Walking in the light isn't just you would have some little change in your heart, uh, but that you enter into a whole new realm. Look at Colossians, Colossians 1, verse 13. He has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So if you say you're in the realm, you're in the kingdom of Yeshua, uh, if you say you're, you're seeing everything in light of Messiah, but you hate your brother, this cannot be. It can't. You cannot be looking at everything in the light of Yeshua. You cannot be thinking about Yeshua, you know, uh, uh, like um, wading through, through an ocean of God's wrath for you, and, you wanting, and at the same time you're wanting to hurt someone or take revenge on someone. It can't be done. For you to walk in hatred or animosity or resentment against a brother or a sister, you first have to block out what Yeshua has done for you. Or you can focus on what Yeshua has done for you, and that will shrivel up your ability to hate. But it's one or the other. You cannot be, do both. If you're in the realm of Yeshua, if you're walking in the light, if you're, if you're um, looking at everything in light of the Messiah and what he's done for you, you cannot live in hate at the same time. It's either or. It's one or the other. So on the overhead, uh, John therefore says, this is an acid test of your salvation, your ability to forgive, your ability uh, to, to be gracious, your ability to overlook an offense, your ability to be kind, your ability to drop grudges and reconcile. If you're looking at life through what Yeshua has done for you, you can do this. If you're not doing this, you're not walking in the light. John says this is a key diagnostic test. If you're not walking in this self-sacrificial love, John says you're kidding yourself about where you stand with Yeshua because you're still in the darkness. Look at First John 2, verse 9. Uh, whoever claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. But whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing to make him stumble. Do you know what this means? Two things it's saying here. First of all, it says a Yeshua follower does not hate. Well, you say, I don't hate anybody. Okay, but don't, don't forget what Yeshua says in Matthew 5, verse 21. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of judgment. And if you say to your brother, Raka, you're answerable to the court, to the Sanhedrin. So we here we see in this, in this passage, we see three aspects, three different aspects of hate. Uh, first, hate can mean actually trying to harm someone, and murder is the most obvious example. Second, hate also includes being angry with your brother. Uh, and the context here is wanting harm to come. Uh, you're not going to do it yourself, but you'd love to see harm come to him. 
You wish it would come to him. Yeshua says, that's a form of murder too. That's not love. Because it's it's the hard attitude out of which murder grows. So level one of hate, and the overhead here you see it, is level one of hate is trying to harm somebody. Level two of hate is wanting harm to come to them. But level three of hate, Yeshua says, if you say raka, which literally means you know body, which is indifference, you're answerable to the court. On the overhead, Yeshua says the lowest but most insidious form of hate is indifference. Not caring. Not concerning yourself with whether harm comes or not. So three levels of hate are trying to harm someone, uh, wishing harm would come to someone, and not even care whether or not harm comes to somebody. And all of these are a lack of love. You can't be uncaring and indifferent to anyone if you're looking at everything through the light of what Yeshua has done for you. So first, if you hate others on any level, you're not walking in the light. But second, John then says this. Look at 1 John 2, verse 10. And anyone who loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. See, the other way you can fail to love is not only to hate someone, but also to be someone who's always stumbling. What does that mean? If you're always complaining uh, that no one loves me, if you're always getting bent out of shape, if you're, if you're always so sensitive, if you're always complaining, this person has hurt me, or if you're always, always stumbling, that's another form of a failure to love. Look again at 1 John 2, verse 9 to 10. Whoever hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and doesn't stumble. There are people who walk in hatred, but there are also people who are always complaining that they're not loved. No one loves me. They're always stumbling. You're always getting upset because this person has insulted me. This person has ignored me. This person has snubbed me. This person was insensitive to me. This person didn't call me or text me or DM me. You're always stumbling because you're not walking in the light. Because you're not looking at life through the joy of the gospel. You're not looking at life through the lens of what Yeshua has done for you. You're acting as if Yeshua does not love you. And you're doubting other people's love all the time. If you're always stumbling, you're not living in the light of what Yeshua has done for you. If you're you're being angry and bitter, or indifferent, or cynical, or holding a grudge, you are not walking in the light. So each day, as you go through your day, think what of what Yeshua did for me. And your grudges will fall. And your indifference will be removed. And you won't be hypersensitive. You begin to, to live in love. You, you'll walk in the light. On the overhead, to walk in the light is to take the gospel and to look at everything through the gospel. And to live continually out of the gospel. And to see the world through the gospel. And to never approach God without the gospel. And to never look at your depression or your bitterness or your anger or your anxiety or your problems without the gospel. To never look at, your, look at, to never look at your relationships without the gospel. Walking in the light means walking in line with the gospel. In Galatians 2, Paul rebukes Peter for refusing to eat with the Gentiles. And he says, you're not in line with the gospel. Paul says to Peter, the reason you're only willing to associate with your fellow Jews and not with the Gentiles, and you're showing this discrimination, is because you, you have not drawn a line from what you believe about the gospel out into this area of your life. And the overhead, walking in the light and drawing lines out from the gospel into your life, that's the same thing. 
So how do you handle everything? Yes, everything through the gospel. I'm going to show you how understanding the gospel undergirds all of these tests. So let's say, for example, you're resentful. The gospel says if you're not loving your brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you're hating a fellow believer, if you're holding on to a grudge against someone, if you want to see someone hurt, then you're not walking in the light. You're failing one of the key diagnostic tests. 1 John 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Anyone who loves his brother lives in the light. And there's nothing to make him stumble. But anyone who hates your brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. And he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. This means you can't hold on to a grudge without at that moment forgetting the gospel. Because the gospel says you are a sinner saved by grace. That God loved you so much that although he was all-powerful, he became powerless for you. Although he was invulnerable, he became vulnerable for you. Although he dwelt in brilliant glory, he came into bone-crushing darkness. Though he was whole, he was ripped to pieces for you. Do you believe that? Well, you can't be hating someone and believing that about what the Lord did for you. At the same time, because they're totally inconsistent. So if you're harboring animosity or resentment, you're not walking into light. You're living in contradiction to the gospel on the overhead. But when you remember the gospel and you submit to it, and you see all the Lord has done for you, even while you were yet his enemy, then away goes your anger. Your resentment and animosity, they melt away. You see how silly and petty your grudge is in light of what Yeshua, how much Yeshua has forgiven you and received you and adopted you into his family. Okay, let's take another example at the other opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say you hate yourself. You're hating yourself, let's say, because you failed at something. Do you know what you need to do? You need to repent. But repent in the gospel. Look at the real problem underneath the failure. You've got to tell yourself, do I know why I hate myself for this failure? It's because I'm forgetting the gospel. I've made this thing, this area that I've, that I've been failing in, all important. Uh, I think that my worthiness uh, is not in Yeshua, but, but this is my worthiness. You'll stop hating yourself when you repent through the gospel. You repent of, of letting this area be too important for you. You repent of letting it become a type of pseudo-salvation for you. And you repent of letting it become a sort of replacement of Yeshua in your life. You'll get over your discouragement. You'll get over your self-hate, your, your, your deep despair, when you start to draw a line from the gospel into your life and repent for the real sin underneath the sin. Not so much repenting for the failure, but for letting this thing become a pseudo-salvation for you, you know, uh, in place of Yeshua. And if you're walking in the light, you'll be obedient. Look at 1 John uh, 2.4. The man who says, I know him, but doesn't uh, do what he commands is a liar. And the truth's not in him. And 1 John, again, 2.9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. It's the same thing. You're forgetting the truth of the gospel when you lie. You're forgetting the truth of the gospel when you're impatient. You're forgetting the truth of the gospel when you live in fear. You're forgetting the truth of the gospel when you're worried. You're forgetting the truth of the gospel when you're not living the, the life of Yeshua uh, with the courage and compassion and convictions and self-control of Yeshua. You're not walking in the truth. 
which is the same thing as you're not walking in the light. Now, if you walk in the light, if you continually remind yourself of the gospel and you rejoice in it every time you pray and you focus your prayers on your personal relationship with Yeshua through the gospel, and if you continually remind yourself of the gospel as you relate to other people out in the world, and if you continually remind yourself of the gospel as you try to deal with all your problems, then as you walk in the light, there eventually will be this testimony from God that you please him. If you're praying and rejoicing in the gospel and seeking to do everything in the light of the gospel, then sometimes it'll be light, sometimes it'll be heavy, but the presence of the Lord will descend upon you. And you'll sense in a powerful way, Yeshua loves me. He accepts me. I am secure in him. I am his. He is mine. You'll feel his loving presence. And you'll rejoice. And he gives you this assurance, you are his child. And that you please him. This will happen to you if you walk in the light. Sometimes to a small degree. Sometimes to a large degree. Sometimes once a month. Sometimes weekly. Maybe sometimes daily. This internal testimony that you belong to him. And when that happens, it strengthens your faith tremendously. Let all hell break loose. You've got Yeshua. He's got you. You please him. You rejoice in him. You delight in him. Just like the father said to Yeshua at his immersion, his baptism in Matthew 3 verse 17. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That same testimony and assurance Yeshua will give to you. In Acts 7, Stephen's being stoned. He looks up to heaven. sees Yeshua applauding him at the right hand of God. Although the people down here are condemning him, Yeshua loves him and assures him that he's perfectly righteous in God. And that enabled Stephen to then handle his execution with grace. Even to forgive those stoning him. Look at Acts 7 verse 60. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was able to respond this way because he was walking in the light. He was drawing a line from the gospel out into his life. And if you walk in the light, and if you pass these tests, all these evidences, you will know him. You will experience him. Your character will change. You'll become more like Yeshua. You'll love your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, and, and you can see this testimony of, of other believers in any century you look at. So, for example, let's take a few centuries. Here's uh, Richard Sibbs, a Puritan leader from the 17th century. This is what he, write, what he writes on the overhead. He says, sometimes our spirits cannot stand in trials. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the spirit is necessary. It comes in saying, I'm your salvation. And our hearts are stirred and are comforted with joy inexpressible. Let's go to the next century, 18th century. Here's William Guthrie. He's talking about the same thing. He says, when you walk in the light, eventually God, God will tell you these things. So he'll come near to you. He'll let you know immediately and intuitively that he's pleased with you. So this is what he says. He says, when God's presence comes, it's like a ray of glory filling the soul with God. as life, love, and liberty. It's like the words of Daniel that came to him saying, O man, greatly beloved, it's like the word Yeshua said to Miriam. The Lord only looked at her and said her name, Miriam. And this word filled her soul, so she no longer doubted that she was his. 
Oh, how glorious and manifest, this manifestation of his spirit. One more, 100 years later, 19th century, a uh, Welsh guy, funny name, named Christmas Evans, <laughs> Baptist preacher. He'd gone several years with hardness of heart. He began to walk in the light again, and he writes, he writes this. I've been in a dry and arid state of soul for some time. But one day, as I was traveling to my congregation, I felt the need to pray. And as soon as I felt I started praying, I felt my chains loosen. And my old hardness of heart fall away. I got in my soul a confidence of the promise of the spirit of love. Tears flowed. And I cried out for the gracious visit of God. And I felt mountains of snow and ice melting. This type of experience is available to every believer. It's available to you. It's available today. Walk in the light. Seek his face. He will let you know that the the great God of the universe is pleased with you. Remind yourself of the gospel. Work it down into your heart until it catches fire. Look at everything in life. Look at every problem through the gospel. Remind yourself that your ultimate problem and temptation and despair and depression and addiction and resentment and self-pity and pride and unforgiveness and self-centeredness, they all come because you're forgetting the gospel. Look at everything through the light of the gospel. Draw lines out from the gospel into every part of your life. And Yeshua will come in. And he will say to you, you are my beloved child. In whom I'm well pleased. Amen. That's that and pray. Hallelujah. I'd like the music team to come on up. Thank you, Lord, for this powerful passage today on the assurance of salvation. You've given us the ability to know that we know you. That we can have confidence that if we were to die tonight, that we would be with you forever, Yeshua. Indeed, we need this. Because we cannot live in the power and the joy and the victory uh, that you call us to, Lord, without this assurance of salvation. So thank you, Lord, for giving us this passage, this one internal and these three external tests. Thank you for giving us this this internal experience of, of knowing you, by being filled with your spirit. By by impressing your presence on our heart, communing with us, speaking to us, uh, uh, having your words jump off the page of the Bible as we read them. By giving us this burning desire to to love you and to fellowship with you and and to obey you and to pray to you and to worship you and to be with you, to spend time with you. See everything in the world through the lens of your presence and your word and your gospel. Give us more, Lord, of this intimate communion with you. This internal witness, this this experience of rapturous joy in your presence. And Lord, thank you also for these three external tests, this, this behavioral test. Help me, Lord, to obey you more, become more and more like you, for my character to actually change, and for me to want to obey you out of a new creation heart. And there is a relational test, Lord, help me to be truly in love with others, to forgive others. To keep short accounts, to not hold on, not hold on to grudges uh, or resentment or, or, or any form of hatred at all, Lord, or indifference. And Lord, this, this doctrinal text, Lord, help me to truly embrace your gospel, uh, your deity, Lord Yeshua, your atoning death and resurrection for me, my commitment and surrender and total devotion to you. Lord Yeshua, give me today the assurance of my salvation. For I pray this in your name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.